0: Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. No, I bring a pretty harsh word at time, correction, correcting word, because the Bible says that God's word is good for correction. And so we align our lives to live by it. And then also there are hard words and we are in the middle of a hard word because I uh, I told you that of all the terms that we could use to deal with the concept of church, and we most of us have messed up concepts of church. We just have done it the way we've always done it, and we don't really understand church. But we use the word church, and we use the word body, and we use the word kingdom. But probably the most accurate term that we can use is house. Because the Bible declares that God is building a house. He is taking us. He's—I don't know if y'all know this—but Tari, he's a brick, and 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 I'm a brick, and Caleb's a brick, and Brittany's a brick, and what he's—what she's a brick. I think he said he's a brick. God is placing us all together, and He is building through us a house to live in. In fact. As thankful as I am for this building, if we think that God lives in this concrete and steel, and we don't allow God to build a house in and through us, then we, in fact, leave God homeless, because God does not dwell in concrete and steel anymore. The Bible says that he no longer lives in temples made by hands, he builds a house in and through us. And so we begin to talk about that house, and then y'all will remember that I cussed last week right in the middle of my message, y'all remember that word I used, authority. I know that's a cuss word, but uh, we began to talk about the house rules because in order for you to be blessed and in order for you to live the covered life that God wants you to live, you got to operate and play by the house rules. Like if you're gonna live in my house, you gotta know my rules. My rules are you don't eat food in my living room because I've got stains all over the carpet where my boys broke the house rules and ate in our living room and they made a mess, right? So our house rule is you don't eat in the living room. So we gotta know the house rules. And the house rule that God operates on is authority. God's main overriding principle is authority. And I told you that we don't deal with authority very well for one of two reasons. One, we've either seen authority abused. Or, because we're Americans, we think that what makes for good government makes for good church. I'm preaching already. And we think that since we get our own way out there and we have our own rights and our own independent spirit out there, that we can bring that over into the into god's house and that he is obligated to operate by that but i'm telling you this morning that god does not operate on a democracy god operates on a theocracy and therefore our response is when you say jump we say how high we don't get to negotiate we don't get to debate we don't get to make our own suggestions and and we don't get to bicker and and dicker with him and say oh do do that no 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 we just say Yes. In fact, the most common statement that ought to come out of our mouth as believers and as members of this house is this. Yes, sir. Whatever he says is law. And so God operates on authority, and we've got to take a moment and quit thinking like Americans and begin to think like members of the house and play by his rules. And so since authority is the key component of accessing a blessed life, then what I want to do this morning is I want to go a little bit deeper into this concept of authority, and I'm going to cuss again right now, get ready, here we go, so that we learn to submit to the right things. Because God does not want us to check our brain at the door. He doesn't want us just to submit to everything and to everyone. In fact, there are basically three avenues or three vehicles through which God wields His authority, and so this week we're going to look at two, and then next week we'll we'll finalize that and deal with the third avenue or vehicle of authority. So this morning I want us to look at two ways that God exerts His authority. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Psalms chapter 138 verse 2. It is a very um, not obscure, but inconspicuous verse of scripture if you will you're just reading through and it doesn't seem to say that much but I want us to read it carefully and understand what it's saying it says this I will worship towards thy holy temple and I will praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth for thou now here it is for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name what's important about that we got to read it. He has exalted his word even above his name. The number one authority figure in God's house is God's word. See, we understand that God's name is powerful. In fact, it's so powerful that in the Old Testament, the Jews wouldn't even mention God's name in public because they were so awestruck by the power and the majesty of His name. We've kind of lost that, so we'll use God's name anytime we want to. But there is power in God's name. In fact, God's name is so powerful that the Bible teaches us that at the very mention of His name, every need, whether you believe in God, whether you think you're an atheist, whether you're an agnostic, whether you believe in, uh, I worship birds and Buddhas and everything else, at the moment that God's name is mentioned there's coming a day when every knee shall bow whether you like it or not his name is so powerful it will drive you to your knees in fact the bible says that his name is so powerful that at the mention of his name demons begin to shake and get nervous and 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 get upset stomachs and have to run to the bathroom because they're so nervous by the very mention of his name And then we're told that at the mention of his name, whether I've ever worshipped him or I've never worshipped him, at that moment my mouth will open up and my tongue will begin to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord because his name is powerful. And yet this verse of scripture teaches me that as powerful as his name is, that God has taken his word and exalted it above his own name. Therefore, if his name is so powerful that demons quake and his name is so powerful that we shall confess and we shall bend our knees, then certainly his his word must be extremely, unbelievably powerful. In fact, Jesus knew how powerful his word was. Think think a moment, if you will. Jesus in the New Testament comes face to face with the devil and begins to combat the devil. Notice, if you will, what he uses to, to battle the devil, do you remember? He uses God's word. Now, explain that to me, if you will, because Jesus is God in the flesh. Am I right? Uh, I got one amen out of the whole Christian crowd that Jesus is God in the flesh. It, Jesus is God in the flesh, right? Okay, just want to make sure we're on uh, the same doctrine here. Here we go. Jesus is God in the flesh, and God uses God's word to take authority over the enemy. If Jesus was God in the flesh, and he was, that means every word that came out of his mouth, therefore, had authority. Because Jesus said, God has given all authority, everything under heaven and earth. I've got authority over it all. So he could have looked at the devil and said, boo, and that becomes authority. becomes authority, and the devil has to tell it. But no, he doesn't do that. He turns to his written word and uses his own written word to take authority over the enemy. God's word is powerful it is the authority figure in his house it is something that we must learn to submit to because see, here's the deal most of us immediately when i say we've got to submit to god's word here's what we do you're right pastor we do and then we blow the dust off this thing y'all get that later because see most of us haven't cracked this thing open in about a decade oh it's gonna oh i told y'all hard word maybe it's gonna turn into a harsh word Because we we say we give lip service to submission to this word, but we don't read this word. Do you understand the power that we have free access, the 1900 Bibles you got on your bookshelf next to all your other favorite authors? Do you understand the power contained in this written word? Do you realize what happens if you don't have this word in your heart? Let me, let me, I I went back, I did a little study. I was like, okay, God, if we don't, if we don't know your word and we're not submitted to your word, what are we missing? And I began to read and and I discovered some things. Let me just remind you, Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says that his word increases our faith. So if you don't have his word, then your faith will not become increased. Ephesians chapter five, verse 26 and 27 says that this word sanctifies us for use. In other words, if you don't have God's Word in your heart and life, He can't use you. I'm preaching real good right now. Psalm chapter 119, verse 11, He keeps us from sin. If you're having struggles and temptations and you're falling into sin, could it be that you don't have enough Word in your, in your life to keep you on the straight and narrow? How about if Psalm chapter 119, verse 130 says He guides us. You don't know where to go. You've been trying to make a decision and you can't figure it out. Maybe could it just be that you don't have enough word to bounce your ideas off of, that you don't know the path that you should go because you're not submitted, actually submitted to his word? Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3 says his word sustains us. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17 says it's a weapon that we use against the enemy. Psalm chapter 119 verse 105 says that God's word is a light. John chapter 15 verse 3 says that God's word cleanses us. Acts chapter 18 verse 28 says that God uses his word to convict us. In 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 the Bible says that his word teaches us in all main matters pertaining to life. And in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 it says that his word reveals the intents of life our heart. I need you to get that this morning. If you don't have any word in you, you are living an unsanctified, an uncleansed, an unguided, a life with no light, a life with no life. Uh, you, you're, you're walking in confusion. And I don't know what kind of life you call that, but I call that a cursed life. That doesn't sound like a life I want to live. And so if I want to have a sustenance and I want to have conviction and I want to have wisdom and I want to have light, then the only way for me to be able to do that is to know His Word. When I was growing up, uh, my parents, when, when I, they would tell me to do something and I didn't want to do it, uh, they, they had this four-word phrase that I absolutely abhorred. Like they would tell me, go take out the trash, and I'd start negotiating. Well, it's kind of rainy outside, and i got a TV show I want to watch, and I'll do it later. Why do I have to do that? And they would always come back with this statement that I hated. Because I said so. And so I purposed in my heart as a parent that when I grew up and had children of my own, that I would never say, because I said so. And so I have ne- I've never said that because I, I uh, added to it. Because when my kids look at me and say, why should I clean my room? Because I go, because I stinking said so. That's where we've got to get in our relationship to God's word and allow it to become authority in my life. So that when he said, I, I look at God and say, why should I tithe? Because I said so. Why should I attend church on Sunday, especially when it's raining and I want to sleep in and I can watch over the Internet? Because I said so. Why should I love that person sitting on my pew that is a different color than me? Because I said so. Why should I not hold a grudge in my heart? Because I said so. Why shouldn't I marry a non-believer? Because I said so. That's where we got to get in relationship with God's Word where we bow our knee and bow our heart and bow our will to this written word of God and understand that he teaches us how to live. Now the problem that most of us have is that we don't know he said so because we don't read his word. We don't know it. In fact, there are basically two groups of people in the, in the room this morning. And before I go there, let me let me state this because I want to break this this morning. Henry Blackaby just made a statement, and he said this. He says, "This is the least discipled and the most biblically illiterate generation that we've ever seen." I declare, no way, we are changing that here. You are going to know God's word. And now, now listen. There are two groups sitting here, and and I, we got to break both of these groups. The first group is this. You don't know what God says because you don't ever read this for yourself. The the only word that you get is the word that I expose you to here every Sunday. It's getting real quiet now, and I know. The most word that you ever get is the little bit of text I read each week. You never open this thing up for yourself. You never digest or ingest the, the bread of life. And what you find is that you're, you're living a weak and a malnourished life just hoping that on Sunday morning, Pastor Steve can get a word and give me just enough word to sustain me. Therefore, you don't have any strength of your own. I don't care if you have to go to Mardell's. I don't even know if they sell these things anymore. But if you have to go to Mardell's and get you one of those little loaves of bread that got the little cards on them and pull one out every morning and read you have got to get some word on the inside of you. This thing is our nourishing power. This thing sustains us. We live off of every word that has come out. It is out of the mouth of God. And so there's a group of you sitting in here that, listen, the text I read to you on Sunday morning is not enough you got to get in the word for yourself. There's a second group setting here this morning, and it's the group of people that uh, they, they chase a word. I knew it would get quiet right there. Uh, they're always the one going, oh, give me a new word. I need a fresh word. I'll, I'll travel the world's end to get a word. Give me a prophet. Stand somebody up and give me a word. I need a fresh word. Come on, give me a word. They always want this word to live their life by. Listen this morning. If you're too lazy to open this book, you better be careful about who's giving you a word. Because his word is authoritative. His word trumps everything else. This is God's voice. This is God's word for right now. Can he speak through people? Absolutely. But it's got to line up with this word. In fact, let me put it this way. A rhema word, which is the Greek word for a now word, a spoken word, is subject to the logos or the logos word, the written word. If it if the rhema word doesn't line up with this word, Then it wasn't a word. Got one amen. Thank you. See, I'm concerned that what happens is we run from house to house chasing a fresh word. And here's the dilemma. We are already educated way beyond our level of obedience. Amen, Steve. That was good. I appreciate it. Thank you. We know more word than we even obey now. Why do you need a fresh word if you're not even obeying the word that you have? I don't know what your school was like, but I didn't get to go to algebra until I first mastered addition and subtraction. So if I'm not already obeying the word that I already know, why is God obligated to give me a fresh word when I'm not living up to the word he already gave me? See, I'm challenging you this morning. This. The great revolutions, it's a quote that I found out I think is powerful. I want you to listen to this. The great revolutions in the history of Christianity do not occur by discovering something new. Great revelations happen when someone takes radically something that has always been there. If we would just do what we already know to do. And so this morning, I want to tell you that the absence of word equates to the absence of authority. If you don't have any word in your life, then you are living out from under and without authority. If you don't have that word there. So I want to challenge you. I very clearly understand that scripture teaches us that faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. So I do not underestimate the power of the spoken word. Please understand me. But I am determined to challenge you. That we have got to move past scripture heard. To scripture adhered to. We've got to not only hear the word. We've got to become doers of the word. That is the challenge that faces us. So let me get real practical. Let Let me help you. Can I help you just a moment? Some of you. You spend hours in prayer. Can I just simplify your prayer life? There are some things you need to quit praying about. Like, for instance, should I shack up? No, you don't have to pray about that anymore. God has already spoken about that. Should, should, should I quit tithing? I need my money worse than God does. I just think I hold back on God. He won't. He won't he's already spoken about that. Should I hold that grudge in my heart for years? No, he's already spoken about that. Should I be generous? He's already spoken about that. Should I tell somebody about Jesus? You don't have to pray about that anymore. He's already given the answer in his written word. So here is what I want you to hear me say this morning. He has exalted his word above everything else. His word trumps everything else. It trumps a pastor's word. Hear me this morning, God forbid, if I ever get up here and preach my own opinions or preach to you out of the latest newspaper article or a magazine article or just some off-the-wall thought, and it doesn't line up with God's word, His word trumps my word. His word trumps your friend's word because everybody's got an opinion. They th- Oh, if you would just do this. No, no, no. His word trumps everybody else's thought or opinion or idea his word trumps every prophet's word prophet stands up and prophesies or prophesies, whichever they're going to do over you and it doesn't line up with this word then they ought to get stoned and i don't mean go to a, an alley somewhere and feel good i mean they ought to get stoned because the reality is is that god's word trumps every other word god's word trumps your feelings god's word trumps your desires god's word trumps your comfort zone god's word is preeminent and prominent And we believe and submit to this word. And so this morning I want you to hear me very loud and very clear as your pastor. The house rules that he is establishing in this place is his word. If his word says that dancing is okay, we will dance. If his word says that banging cymbals until it gives you a headache is okay, and it does, by the way. It says, Praise the Lord on high sounding cymbals. I don't know how you play cymbals quietly, but if Mike gets a uh, wild hair and decides to beat him loud, then that's all right because it lines up with his word. If his word says that, it's, that we ought to mingle with people of every race, every nationality, every color, every tribe, every nation, then if it says that that's the way church ought to be and that's how his house ought to operate, then so be it, bring them in here. If his word says that we're going to be generous, then we're going to be generous. Now let me get harsh. If his word says something is a sin, then I am not going to stand up here and try to make you feel good about your sin just so you'll feel okay when you get home. If his word, I don't care who controls the media, if I don't care what they say is right. If God's word says that something is a sin, then we are going to submit to the authority of this word and live by this, not by what Hollywood says. I, I, I had this thought. Were you allowed to talk back to your parents growing up? Anybody in here? Man, uh, uh-uh. uh, dude, I, my, well, y'all just gotta know I didn't get to talk back to my mom and dad. Uh, my dad had this quick trigger. I don't, I don't, but and so I'm carrying that thing out, man. That's my inheritance. So when my kids talk back, around, pops all the way out, and then I do a zoro. No, I'm playing. I don't. I'm not that severe. But, but if we won't allow our natural children to talk back. Why do we think that we have the right to talk back to God? Why don't we just say, you're right. Have you ever been in a ball game where you could out talk the umpire referee once he called the foul? No way. I've tried. I I tried it two weeks ago. The umpire missed the play at the plate. I'm declaring to God and everybody, he missed the call at the plate. I tried until he told me to go back to the dugout to talk him out of it. He didn't change his call. God will not change his call. And if he's already said what it is to be, then it is so. And so we will submit to this word. Now, I'm going to help you. I want to get real practical. I would ask you to raise your hands, but I'd embarrass you and me too. I wonder how many of you read the word from cover to cover lately. When's the last time you read it all? My mom has read the word 34 years in a row, one time through every year for the last 34 years. I wish I could say that was my testimony. <laughs> Whew, I feel convicted already. I'm going to help you. Because what we do is we go home and... W- we, we get the word out, and we probably go, go get the old King James, and we start numbers. Oh, man, God, what are you trying to teach me? And they had 32,000 kids, and then he had 32,000, 62,000, 41,000 kids, 157,000 kids. Good Lord. 603 in their camp. Man, I'm, I'm so uplifted, ready to face my day. And we make that for about two days, and then we quit. Understandably, so I'm going to help you. Starting on January 3rd, I am going to try to reignite in you a passion for God's Word. I'm going to make it as easy as possible. Starting January 3rd, you'll be able to go to www.passion, the number four word, dot and, and we are going to have for you, by date, a passage of Scripture in an understandable version that in less than four minutes a day for five days a week. Now, you do the math. I'm not great in math, but four times five is still 20. So in less than 20 minutes a week, you can read the entire New Testament through in a year. That's not asking much. Well, why should I do that? Well, let's see. Hmm. Because he said so. Thank you. You got it, girl. You go, girl. You got it. Because he said so. Because it teaches us what Jesus did when he was living among us. It teaches His kingdom principles. It teaches us how we should live. It teaches us all that in less than four minutes a day. Most of you watch. Oh, I ain't. Never mind. Most of you on Facebook more. Um, I guess I better move on. Um, there's a second authority figure. You watch January 3rd. Join me. We're going to read the whole New Testament through in a year second authority figure, quickly, is our conscience. I know you don't ever hear anybody talk about their conscience anymore because most of us don't have one anymore. But I believe that the second authority figure that God has placed in and, and wants to use in us is our conscience. In fact, I'm going to help you this morning because in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, it teaches us what our conscience is. It says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which you are also called into one body, and be ye thankful. The second authority figure that we must learn to submit to is our God-given conscience. It's built into us. There is a built-in referee so that when you're about to step out of bounds, he blows the whistle and calls you out. Your conscience is God's word speaking to you. So, how does that work? How does our conscience work? Here it is. I I don't know if this has happened to you, but my my life has marched past the black and white pages of this. There are days in my life where I walk into gray areas. Anybody else in here ever walked into a gray area? <clears throat> should I work at Burger King? Oh, 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 1. Work thou at Burger King. Thank you, God, I needed that. Anybody ever found that in there? I found. Should I buy that, sports, that, that Ford Explorer sport track, burgundy and silver, or should I get the black one? Hmm, Second Chronicles chapter 34, verse 22. Buy thou the burgundy sport track, but make sure you get the four-wheel drive option. Oh, thank you, God. Have you ever found that stuff? My life has marched out of this sometimes. So you know what I have to rely on? The second authority figure. My conscience, how does that work? The moment the peace of God vacates my heart, my right to keep moving forward is over. That was really good, by the way. I'll amen myself. Because, see, some of you are, are trying to make decisions about relationships, and some of you are trying to make decisions about what house to buy or what job you should take or what car you should buy, and you can't find it listed in the Word. Oh, but he's got blonde hairs. Am I supposed to date the guy with No, at the moment that the peace of God is no longer in your heart, your right to move forward is canceled because it's an authority figure. In our lives. Now, the problem with that is this most of us have seared our conscience. We've done things that for so long that used to bother us. Now, come on, I'm being real transparent. Some of you, there are some things you're doing right now that used to bother you that don't bother you anymore. Some of you watch movies, oh man, oh, you're going to go there, oh yeah, some of you watch movies now that you used to would have been ashamed that anybody would have known you watch, but because you can rent them and take them to the privacy of your own home, and nobody will know what I rented, I'm all right with it, and so therefore, we got to go back to law number one, because law number one trumps law number two, and at the moment you go, I feel good about this thing, if it goes against this. This one is preeminent and prominent. See, John says this. He says our conscience can and will convict us. Romans, listen to this very carefully. Romans says that the law of God has been written in our hearts. God has placed in us. He's written it on our hearts, uh, the law of God. And at that moment when we begin to do something we're not supposed to do, the conscience refers back to the law. Here's the problem. If you don't know the law. So I am challenging you this morning that we've got to go back and learn to listen to the still small voice inside of us. We've got to tune again once our ear to our conscience because I want to say this to you. I don't, I, am I the only one in here that hears voices? I, I hear voices. It's my conscience going off at times. And, and I, I just think we go through life without paying enough attention to our conscience. Uh, let, let me make this statement. It will fill in your blank for you so you won't go crazy if you're type A. Most of us live our daily life in an unconscious, I said that right by the way, an unconscious state, and that is dangerous. I didn't say it wrong, I know what I said. We live in a state where we don't listen to our conscience anymore, and it puts us in harm's way. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to challenge you in two areas, I want to challenge you that you need to go back and examine your attitude towards the authority figures in God's house. Are you digesting and ingesting this word? And if you're not, you have not submitted to its authority. The absence of God's word is the absence of authority. And second, I want to challenge you this morning that you need to go back and listen and check your peace level again. me put it to you this way. If there's no peace, then you should have no peace of that situation. And I think that maybe some of us need to go back and ask God, would you please repair my conscience? What used to keep me up at night doesn't keep me up at night anymore. But I don't have any peace. Father, touch us. Speak to us. Challenge us. Maybe a hard word has slipped over into a harsh word, oh God, but I pray that we would apply it in Jesus' name. If you will, I want you to stand with me this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning or if you're watching by the internet, and if you're on the internet, by the way, we're thankful that you've been tuned in. Had 96 people watching last week online. Excited about that. believe God is using our church, our house, to bless others. But if you're here this morning and you say, Steve, I don't know Jesus as my personal Savior. John says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God's Word in the flesh. And the first word that you've got to submit to is Him. And so if you're here this morning and you haven't bowed your knee or asked Jesus to become your Savior, your Lord, your King. Then you need to make that step this morning. I promise I won't embarrass you. We had one raise their hand this morning. I believe others are going to now. I just want to simply in fact we're all going to pray together here in just a moment but if that's you you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior you need to make him the Lord and King of your life if you want to live a blessed life you got to submit to his authority if that's you would you just quickly raise your hand and pull it back down the yeah, others one anybody else anybody else that would say I need to know Jesus as my personal Savior this morning would you pray this with me let's just make sure we're all where we need to be dear Jesus I submit to you. I give you my life. I make you my Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Set up your throne in my heart. I submit to you. Thank you, Jesus. Now, would you all just pray this with me? I, I Listen. I don't need you to do it to stroke my ego I'm asking you to do this if you mean it. I want us to pray and ask God and say to God that we are going to submit to His Word, that the rule of this house is His Word first, our conscience second. And then we'll deal with Avenue 3 here next week. So would you pray this with me if you're there? God, I submit to Your Word. I need Your Word. Give me a hunger for your word. Give me a passion for your word. God, I pray you'd bring us to that place this morning where we would become desperate for your word whether not a day would go by. Even if it's as little as four minutes a day, not a day would go by that we're not eating your word. I need your word, God. And now, Father, I pray over my congregation, God, I pray that in the name of Jesus, you would sharpen our conscience back up. Many of us have rubbed the sharp edges off. We've done some things for so long that it doesn't bother us anymore. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that right now you would resharpen our conscience. So that when we step out of bounds, we can't justify it anymore. And our conscience would pull point us back to your word, the law that's written on our heart, and we would live righteously and uprightly and holy before you and before man. And Father, we will praise you for this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.